Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock in the UK. Where I am, it's just after 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And up in London is Tim Gray. Hello Tim. Uh, good evening John and uh, or good afternoon John. Yes, good afternoon. So whereabouts are you today? I am in Austin, Texas. Well I'm just outside of Austin, Texas actually at the very lovely... Uh, Holiday Inn Express next to Austin Bergstrom Airport which is about six miles from the Circuit of the Americas because we're getting ready for the final Creventic event 24-hour series presented by Hankook and that of course is also the final of the uh, Championship of the Continents this weekend and we'll be hearing more about that later on. Uh, so you are there. We have a plethora of other guests joining us tonight. <laughs> a plethora. Uh, including Shay Adam. Good evening, Shay Adam. Where are you? Hello, Tim. Good afternoon for me, because it's still three o'clock in the afternoon. I am at home in Fort Lauderdale. Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent. Hooray! Hooray! Well, you're going to ask about Formula One, aren't you? Where are you this week? Um, I'm in. I'm in Sunny Milton Keynes. Um, Sunny before Milton I, Keynes. Before I get up bright and early to uh, go to Austin tomorrow. Although it is dark, I suspect. Oh, yes, yes. But Milton Keynes is always sunny. Those roundabouts are like going round the sun. It's always a fabulous place to be. Uh, Johnny Palmer is joining us as well. Good evening, Johnny. I'm not falling for your romanticism of Milton Keynes, Nick. I've been there. It's just full of roundabouts. Uh, picturesque it is not. And we have Joe Bradley. Where are you, Joe? Uh, I'm about five feet from Shear. Okay. I'm in Fort Lauderdale as well. And finally, uh, because we have uh, Eve's Christmas presents uh, on the show tonight, Eve Hewitt, uh, who I presume is at Hindhoff Towers in Thrapston. Ah, well, Tim, as you know, I'm everywhere. The omnipotent Eve. Uh, More on that later. So a very packed show tonight. Uh, We haven't even mentioned uh, some of the other features that we're going to have, including for our big interview this evening, Scott Atherton on, he's the man at the top of IMSA of course, on all things IMSA where IMSA is in the big scheme of things, he'll be talking hypercar he'll be talking new regulations uh, and he'll be talking um, what, uh, what what the future holds for NASCAR, ISC and IMSA it's all coming in the big interview which kicks off the second half of tonight's programme uh, however, shuffle your papers Tim and let's get cracking with the top story latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport and our top story
story comes from Brazil. Really? Which one have you chosen? And Formula One. Hooray again? Double hooray? We say hello again to our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. I was preempting, I (laughs) apologise. Nick, was there something in the water in Interlagos? Well, there was certainly a bit of rain, but it 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 was a very strange effort of everyone getting annoyed with everyone else and eventually even getting annoyed with inanimate objects, weren't they, as well? Should we start on Friday? Who was annoyed on Friday? Oh, actually, I don't know the fr- I know the, I know the Saturday annoyances. Ah. Who to tell me who is known on Friday? Uh, the Force India driver who is not uh, uh, Esteban Ocon. Uh, Sergio Perez was annoyed. Sergio Perez was annoyed. Why do we think he, he was annoyed? Um, because he was paying something he hadn't got. Um, he had no idea who Rich Energy were either. I don't know. Uh, in a first free practice session, uh, he wasn't taking part because he had to give his car up to uh, rich Canadian Nicholas Latifi. Yes, and he was upset because Latifi damaged it. Uh, no, uh, then in the second session it rained. Oh, oh poor thing. So poor he just thing. got a damp day. Yeah, He's been there about seven times before. It's not like it's changed, it's is it? It's not like it's new to him. And sometimes no. it does rain in Brazil, so it's practicing in the come. wet is often useful. Uh, Saturday, we had some annoying, annoyed people on Saturday, didn't we? Yeah, so we're going to start with, um, well, the first annoyance, um, well, I think it was, it, it, it got downgraded, it started off being a, a major international incident when Siro- Sergei Sorokin sort of got near, or got confused with Lewis Hamilton at the start of, um, uh, it was Q2, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, and uh, Hamilton was an outlap, and Sorokin was also on a faster outlap, and then he almost hit him, and they both tried to avoid each other at the same time, and, and Hamilton was very disrespectful. And I was thinking, well, I don't really see what disrespectful about it. You just had a confusion, and then he took it back. Um, yes. So then it stopped being disrespectful. Lots of people thought Hamilton uh, should have had uh, a grid penalty because of that. Why, why did he not get a grid penalty? Because it wasn't a fast lap. They're both on their outlaps. Indeed. So, you only get grid penalties, really. You get you get you get told off, and you get reprimands, and you get in trouble if you block someone on their outlap. Uh, you, you so you, you can get a little bit of trouble, but you only actually get a grid penalty if you block someone on their um, impede someone on their fast lap. And neither Sorokin nor Williams decided that it was worthy of complaining to the stewards about well, anyway. They weren't on their outlap, and they're a bit chuffed to be in in in, in Q two anyway because that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Uh, who else got annoyed on uh, Saturday? Mr. S. Vettel, Esquire, got very upset um, because he was asked to weigh his car after, again, at the end of, no, again, the beginning of Q2, because they, 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 it was just about to rain, and they thought, well, let's see if we can do it on super soft. So they went, oh, no, we're going to try it on softs. As they came in, um, he was called into the weigh bridge, and the weigh bridge wasn't fast enough, and they told him to turn his engine off, he didn't want to turn his engine off, and he got very upset and waved at them a lot, and then spun his wheels, and he broke their scales. Yes. And how much uh, did that cost him? $25,000. How much does uh, Sebastian Vettel earn in a weekend? Um, $400,000? Probably even more than that. I think it's just, I'm not talking about everything else, just just his basic race fee is probably what about, probably half a million, yeah, I suppose, yeah, half a million. So not not a huge uh, loss of... uh, earnings from that I think uh, you're fine the FIA said it was a proportionate fine that was going to really you know, really affect him whereas as we know it was a fine that seemed like a lot of money to normal people but isn't going to make a blind bit of difference to multi-millionaire Sebastian Vettel no uh, anyone else on Saturday or should we move on to Sunday I 
sure I'm sure there are lots of other people who are, who are very whinging, and it tends to happen. But uh, no, let me, let's, let's go to Sunday. Uh, because there was uh, a big contretemps on Sunday between uh, a Frenchman mm-hmm. and a Kiwi. Oh, right. You're the row between Pierre Gasly and um, Brendan Hartley. Yes. Uh, how did this uh, come about? Well, the... What, what, do you know how it came about? It came about because about four races ago, Brendan Hartley realised he was going to be sacked and decided to stop being Mr. Nice Guy and be Mr. Nasty. And ever since then, he's been much more um, aggressive, not in a slapping people around the thing or punching holes in walls, as is, appears to be a, a popular thing in other drivers. Uh, but he's just kind of, when he's had a problem, he's shouting about it, he's, he's pointing out how good he is and everything like that. And, and um, he was in a very different strategy to Gasly, and he wanted to be let past, and he was told the team told Gasly to let him pass because of the strategy, and Gasly didn't do it. Because he went, no, je ne, getting out of the way. In the end, uh, Hartley did get past. Yes, again, apparently he says he got past and Gazi said he let him through. Yes. Uh, It didn't really make a huge amount of difference, though, because they finished 11th and 12th and they were both uh, a minute behind the car in 10th. Yes, I think the I think the the concept is that you know Hartley just wants to beat Gasly because he's yeah he can see his career disappearing quite quickly and he just wants to make a point. And because Helmut Marko keeps saying, "Ah, oh, if you beat, you show what you couldn't do in these next two days. You have your race," and you're thinking, "Well, oh, it's been unlikely. Imagine we Alexander Albon out of the uh, the Nissan Formula E team. So I'm not going to give him a drive now, are they? So um, yeah, I just just it was just a little bit more. Brendan just having another thing. Look, I've done really well in the season. It's not fair. And perhaps he has, perhaps he hasn't. Who knows? Uh, let me read you a quote here. Hold on. The situation was absurd and unacceptable. He made me lose my temper. I couldn't help it because respect is very important between drivers. We all get it wrong from time to time, but it's important to recognise that you've got it wrong so you don't repeat your mistakes. The problem was he wouldn't even think about it, let alone say he was wrong. Those well, knowing you, it could be anything. <laughs> are those are the words of uh, Mr. Ayrton Senna. Right. With Eddie uh, Irvine. After an incident with Mr. Eddie Irvine uh, from a long time ago. 1993 in Japan. When Eddie Irvine successfully unlapped himself uh, and, and no one came together. It was yes. disrespectful for a rookie, it was his first ever race, to unlap Ayrton Senna. And Ayrton Senna, the god, as so many people who seemed to think he is, was basically being a petulant little child. Yeah, and Eddie Irvine knew his way around Suzuka, having uh, been runner-up in the uh, All Japan Japanese Formula 3000 Championship. Do you remember the Brazilian Grand Prix of 1994? Well, I saw it. Uh, That was when Senna fell off, didn't he? He did, yes. But we're not worried about uh, what was happening at the front. We're worried about an incident that happened... uh, a little bit further back, involving uh, Mr. Martin Brundle, Mr. Mm-hmm. Eric Bernard, and Mr. Oh. Jos Verstappen. Did Jos the boss hit someone? Uh, both of them. That's impressive. Uh, I, don't remember, I don't remember that part of it at all, no. And then, uh, in the words of Joe Bradley, went arse over tit uh, and hit Brundle's, <laughs> hit Brundle's helmet. Well... <laughs> So yes, yeah, so yeah. Well, and did, did and and Yoss, obviously is a, is is known for liking a liking a fight. Did he just leave it at that? Uh, Eric Bernard was penalised for uh, not getting out of the way. Right. Okay. Excellent. The stewards, having received a report from the race director, summoned and heard the drivers and team representatives 
have considered the following matter and determined the following. The driver of car 33 made deliberate physical contact with the driver of car 31 in the FIA garage in breach of Article 12.1.1c of the FIA International Sporting Code. The driver is thus mm-hmm. required to perform two, brackets number two, close brackets, <laughs> days of public service at the direction of the FIA within six months. Penalty mm. under Article 12.3.1.c of the FIA International Sporting Code. The yeah. driver of car 33 started an altercation, pushing or hitting the driver of car 31 forcefully several times in the chest. Both drivers acted appropriately and cooperated with the stewards. The stewards understood from the driver of car 33 that he was extremely upset and accepted that it was not his original intent to strike the driver of car 31. The stewards determined that it is the obligation of sportsmen at this level to act appropriately and as role models to other drivers at all levels and found that the driver of car 33 had failed in this respect. Yes, or in, uh, unless you're uh, a well-known driver from the past, i.e. Mark Webber, who thinks it was handbags, and it should be much more physical contact. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's all over the... Uh, it was the big news, wasn't it? It was the Ocon versus uh, uh, Max Verstappen instant. Um, obviously, you know, the, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree, and Max is happy to get physical, um, you know, when things don't necessarily go his way. Luckily, it hasn't learned him in court. It has his dad, so that's good news. Um and it all spanned from a point where just after Max got himself in the lead in a, in a very good run when he started in fifth, he got himself ahead of, of Lewis. Um, and he was not lapping, but being unlapped by Esteban Ocon, who just came out of the pits on faster tyres and going through the centre race, they had a misunderstanding, which resulted in them coming together. Um, obviously, um, being the leader, um, Verstappen was very very aggrieved, facing the wrong way, calling all the names of the sun, couldn't come back and win with the damaged car, despite the problems that Lewis was having with, with an engine that was about to, about to go ping and uh, tyres that had gone ping, and uh, decided to be very, very upset, as he has been a lot recently, and uh, started pushing match. So, unedifying, unnecessary, um, Another, I think another display of, of his immaturity. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't condemned by people who should condemn him, like his boss, um, and when you entitle young people, it never works out well. So perhaps someone needs to have a quiet word with him. He probably didn't help when he was in the cool-down room. Uh, Lewis Hamilton basically said, well, you, didn't, basically, you, should, you shouldn't have been there. You know, you didn't need to do it. You didn't you need to choose your own battles. And, and, you know, I think, I don't know what you thought of seeing the incident, but seeing the incident again and again, you kind of think, well, whilst Ocon probably shouldn't have tried to unlap himself there, the fact was that Max was ahead. Max had better tyres. Max was under no threat from Lewis. Um, he should just have given him some space. But this is the problem. Max hasn't learned. Max hasn't, you know, you, you see, you know, people keep saying, oh, yeah, Max Marvels, he overtook all these drivers. Well, they didn't fight. They knew it wasn't the battle. The battle wasn't with Max Verstappen. You know, Lewis's battle that weekend was with um, the Ferrari to win the Constructors' Championship for Mercedes. Vettel, he got past, was battling his own problems with the sensor issue, so he didn't, they didn't fight it. There was no issue. Verstappen didn't need to battle with Ocon. Yes, he shouldn't, Ocon shouldn't be where he was, but then Max shouldn't be taking the racing line with the car he couldn't see. He, he could have moved out. I mean, it cost him two tenths of a second with a faster car, and nothing would have happened. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's become very polarised, and people are saying ridiculous things about Ocon. I mean, Jonathan Palmer wrote a ridiculous article. You mean Julian um, Palmer? 
Julian Palmer, sorry, well, yeah, same thing, uh, wrote a ridiculous article on the BBC about, oh, he should be ashamed of himself, it's tarnished his reputation. Yeah, person's reputation is tarnished, it's Max, because once again, he doesn't seem to be able to drive with his head. Yes, he's incredibly quick, yes, he's incredibly talented, but does anybody actually think in the same situation with, you know, with a, you know, whatever driver it was, that Vettel would have hit him? Or that Lewis would have hit him. No, they'd have given him a little bit of extra room. They'd know what happened. They wouldn't have to fight for every position. And, uh, and the same is true of Kimi or Bottas yeah, or it's, Ricardo. It's called, it's called maturity. And and Verstappen is a great driver. Verstappen is, I'm pretty certain, you know, will end up being uh, a world champion. But at the moment, you know, he's still showing a huge number of, of emotional rookie outbursts in the state. You know, he's done four full seasons. You know, he's, after he didn't get he didn't um, get the pole position in Mexico, he said, oh, I could hit someone, I was so upset, and this sort of thing. You know, he didn't get his own way in Brazil and lost some points. And that doesn't really matter. He wasn't he hasn't lost anything in a championship. It's just a, it's a meaningless race. And he gets hit up like that and decides to go pushy-shovey because he didn't get the apology he wanted from, from Ocon. You know, it's just not the way you handle yourself. It's not the mental attitude you need to become a world champion. I mean, you know, this isn't, the accident wasn't his fault, but he was culpable for what happened because he could have left space. But his reaction after was just petulant and stupid. What's uh, Esteban Ocon going to be up to next season, do we think? He's going to be the reserve driver, apparently, for every single Mercedes team. Uh, yes, reserve driver genuine, or test driver for Racing Point Force India and for Williams and for Mercedes. That's right. If, if, if it's got a Mercedes engine, he's going to be testing it. So, yeah. I must admit, you do kind of think that um, given how appalling Valtteri Bottas has been in the second half of the season, with the one exception being Russia, you kind of wonder whether Mercedes kind of think, well, we can't just get him in the car next year. Um, but then again, perhaps he needs another year to mature as well, because obviously he's a lot coming together with his teammates. So, you know, this, 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 this march towards youth, which has been you know, quite... You know, quite a good thing in F1 that's where it's downsides because it's one of the advantages of being a bit older is you have a bit more experience a bit more life experience and sometimes in the heat of the moment that's what really that's what really pays so yeah I mean Max will learn from all this and you know the advantage he's got is he's still very young the disadvantage he's got is he's still very young so if Esteban Ocon is only going to be testing for those three teams uh, what is going to happen with the Williams seat that he was one of the contenders for well, if you believe a German publication with links to Poland, um, we are going to see the return of Robert Kubica, um, Poland's wonder driver, who we, of course, is considered by maybe the lost talent the last 15 years after his rallying accident in um, 2008, I think it was, uh, has spent a year being um, test and reserve driver. I think he's done a couple of uh, FP1s and some simulated driving and he will be thanks to a consortium of Polish sponsors so he'll be driving in the same format that Felipe Massa did and also uh, Perez does where he brings some sponsors he keeps the money himself so he gets paid but obviously a, a chunk of it goes to Williams and it, it, if this is confirmed then it'll be a major seat change Williams taking two drivers basically on talent um with uh, George Russell, the um, almost certain to be F2 champion, and then uh, Kubica, who certainly got the talent as long as, he, as long as his physical limitations aren't going to hold him back too much, um, replacing two pay drivers. But the big question, Tim, really is they're replacing two pay drivers. Where's the money coming from? Because they've lost Lance Stroll's money. They've lost Sorokin's money. They've lost the money from Martini. And they've also lost a load of prize money because they've been rubbish this year. And so they've about also 18... lost that on the potential rich energy as well. 
Yes, that's probably not quite to be. Well, they, they've they've missed going to court to try and get unpaid bills, so that's that's true. Um, so they're down about eighty million eighty million dollars. So I mean, this is a, a seed change of Williams. Perhaps they've decided they have reached the, the bottom. They've reached that deal. They can't go any lower. Well, they, you know, they're even worse than McLaren. They can't go any lower, and for the good of the team they have to try and pull themselves by the bootstraps they've got the you know, probably the best or equal best young driver available and they've got you know a man who if he can get back to 95 percent of where he was will be a, a, a real force to reckon with anywhere in the grid so it's an interesting change and uh, you just hope that they can they can financially afford it so the upshot of the uh brazilian grand prix and it actually doesn't matter that uh, lewis won it it's just uh more serendipitous that he did. Uh, Mercedes have uh, won the Constructors' Championship for the fifth consecutive year. Yes, driver, uh, five-time drivers and five-time Constructors' Championship, equaling the record for Ferrari from 2000-2004. They've done it across a sort of semi-regulation, a, regu- a huge regulation change. And certainly for the last, this year, was one, they didn't have the best car that much, and perhaps you can say last year. So they've managed to to, to ring ring global dominance um, for a very very long time, and you can really say nothing more than congratulations to the team. And I know a lot of people find it yeah, we'll find it boring, whatever it may be, but they have done an absolutely superb job to be able to complete keep motivating themselves to improve and keep fighting even when things are you know slightly wrong and keep driving them forward. And they, they, they had both this year and also last year behind at certain points. They managed to get them up ahead. And you have, have nothing but the utmost respect for them. You know, they get sniped at all the time by the other teams. And some things, oh, it's just because... It's, like, it's kind of constant. Oh, it's just because their engine's really good. Well, they did design and build the engine and that's the point. You know, Red Bull particularly turn around and go, well, if we had an engine, we'd be able to beat them every week. And you sit around and go, well, you know, the point about the thing is if you get a bigger engine... And it doesn't necessarily mean you just go automatically quicker because it's a different, you know, the whole power is different or where the tyre is different and everything else. So it is a brilliant performance and, you know, they, they, they will probably start next year as favourites to make it six and six. But again, we have another medium-sized regulation change tomorrow, not tomorrow, next year, sorry. Uh, we mentioned um, the tyres. Mm, and we did have... Ferrari on a very different tyre strategy after qualifying, oh. and after qualifying, everything everyone was thinking, "Oh, Ferrari have uh, got a different tyre strategy. Uh, they're going to be so much faster ahead of everyone else," and they weren't. No, I think they, they had a problem in that um, Fettel's car had an issue, which meant he couldn't run in the correct mode. It had some sensor issues, so he was battling a. A car that was 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 off its best, you know. Therefore, you're you're leading with Raikkonen, who did a good job to come third, but he's not as quick as Vettel when Vettel's going as well as he can. Um, they took a little while to get the tyres switched on, and then they were in traffic. Um, and the Red Bulls, who'd been working on race pace the whole time, came came good. And I think you know it's it, you know they they had the cars trimmed correctly. That when they got a bit of DRS, they could get past. Um, the chassis is good, and it, obviously we were, we were at some altitude again, and it, that it negates some of their power. Um, differential, um, yeah. I mean, it was it was it was a more much more open race than, than people thought it would be. And of course, in Brazil, because people can get past, you do see changes for position in, in in many different places. And I think you know, the Red Bull have had a good run over the last three or four races. Um, hence, their you know statements we're going to be doing really really well with Honda. But you know, somebody pointed out, it wasn't me. Um, at this stage of the season, Toro Rosso have less points than they had last year with Renault. And McLaren have more points than they did last year with Honda. So 
there's this whole concept that there's going to be a magic panacea, but is there? I don't know. You know, it seems to me that Honda are, are may have a few more horsepower than um, Renault, but they've had an equal number of reliability issues. So, you know, already Red Bull are building them up. We know how well Red Bull handled disappointment and how long before that relationship sours. Who's not a big fan of the newly announced Vietnam Grand Prix? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Could be any of them, really. Uh, It's Bernie Eccleston. Well, because it wasn't his idea. Well, he did have an idea of holding a Grand Prix in Vietnam and Mm -hmm. decided shortly before he'd left uh, the front line of the sport uh, that it wasn't going to be a good idea. And why did he decide that? Uh, he didn't want to upset the promoters of uh, other nearby countries, such as Singapore, Malaysia and China. Well, there is no Malaysian Grand Prix now, so... No, they got upset by Singapore. Which, of course, oddly, were the two closest Grand Prix in the calendar, even mm. closer than, than Spa and parts of Germany. Uh, although now Paul Ricard and Monaco are uh, definitely the closest two. Yes, that's a good point. Well, that, of course, Paul Ricard only turned up this year. Yes. Uh this comes on well not on the day on in the week where uh Sean Bratches says uh that they are still uh, going to go ahead with Miami uh, despite some uh, lack of local support Yes, they said that Miami's not dead even though everyone else seems to appear to think it is I mean basically the whole Yes, Miami's on. We've got the design. It's starting next year. Hurrah! Um, has kind of disappeared into a, the mire of local politics, as, as it will often happen. Um, so they are very much um, trying to keep it alive. Sort of Miami was a place they really wanted to go. Um, so you know, but it's it's, it's not really. It's, it's only moved backwards in many ways. And since they announced it, it's just gone backwards and backwards and backwards. So it's obviously nice to be able to announce a, a new race, which is which they obviously want to do as a liberty. It's, it's a new country, which obviously works well. And also it's also a street circuit, which is something else they want to have more of. So it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, you kind of wonder whether, you know, not wishing to get too political, but if you imagine, you know, all those thousands of people or millions of people who died in the Vietnam War, which was all about, you know, making a communist state um, for the whole of, uh, you know, a Marxist communist state for the whole of Vietnam, and now they're hosting the most capitalist uh, race series in the world. You kind of think, mm, well, that's an interesting kind of change, uh, juxtaposition of politics and history, isn't it? Uh, Chase Carey says there are other options in the US if Miami does fall through. Well, there are. There's a very good circuit in Indianapolis. Um, and I'm sure Caesar's Palace will be prepared to lend you its uh, car park again. Um, you know, there, there are other options. And they will New Jersey. Very, uh, that's never going to happen. Uh, they, they'll, they'll, they'll put in a um, uh, some other track. One of the point is, if you put it at a street track, it costs money. It, it just comes down to finance, as always. You know, you could find a thousand places to hold a Grand Prix if you just charge less for it. But that's not how, that's not the business model, is it? Uh, let's move on to bikes. Oh, good. Uh, World Superbikes have announced the calendar for 2019. I know. I saw it uh, yesterday, but it was a really small picture. And so you're going to have to tell you when we're going where. Uh, you will not be surprised by the fact that it starts in Australia. Yes, yep, got that. And ends in Qatar. 
brilliant. So it's the same as before. Yeah. In the middle, it'll go to places like let me get. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely not looking now, but I'm going to guess. So it's going to go to the tie circuit yes. because it goes there. It's going to go to well, obviously Donington. Um, yes. It's going to go to um, Bruno. It goes to Maycor. It's not going to Bruno. Okay, it goes to Maycor, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. It goes to Assen. Um, yes. um, it goes to Portimao. Portimao. What? What's near to Portugal? Spain. Yes, it goes um, there twice. Do, do, twice? Which yeah. one? Um, they go to. They go to Hereth. Where else? They go Aragon. to Spain. I didn't know that. Okay. And then there's uh, um, two races in Italy, although one of them um, is really in San Marino. Yeah. Not. Oh, Imola. No, Imola. Imola and Mizano. Didn't know about Mazzano. I've been here all week guessing Mazzano. <laughs> uh, Argentina and TBA, uh, which is being held on the 21st of July. So, Do we have uh, any idea who the TBA is? They must have someone in mind pop, for that. Popular venue TBA. I know they host a lot of, uh, or they they appear on a lot of calendars and don't don't uh, host a lot of events. So they need to sort themselves out in that respect. So, but when when is Donington is that in May? Uh, is it? That is the seventh of July. So that's two weeks before TBA and two weeks after Italy. Seventh of July. So it's the week before the Grand Prix, is it? Uh, F1 Grand Prix. Uh, I don't know what it is. They move sure. it around. Yeah. Okay. Uh, MotoGP. Yes, has not done anything this week that I know of. It, There's been some rows between um, Lorenzo and Vidizioso who have been like basically they're 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 breaking up the band in the week. They've just been calling each other names, haven't they? Um, I noticed that um, Casey Stoner has been um, uh, is leaving Ducati after yes. several years not actually racing but just doing testing. Who uh, is thinking of returning to MotoGP? I don't know. MotoGP or Moto E? Moto E. Moto E, it's a shiver now. So yes. what we really need is have um, Valentino Rossi go in there and just destroy him for a second time. Uh, two-time runner-up to Valentino Rossi, Sete Gibernau, uh has been retired for 10 years. Who else uh, had, uh, is uh, going to be returning to motorbike racing after saying that they weren't going to do it anymore? Oh, is it? Oh, I know who it is. It's um, old handlebar grabber, isn't it? Old Fanati. Romano Fanati. <laughs> yes. He's, he, he, he gave up and gave his license back for a whole fortnight um, before someone said, you know what? You know, as is often the way, you're actually quite good and you know you're cheap, so we'll have you. Uh, he'll be racing for the team that uh, previously sacked him. Good, good. It's good to see people sticking to their guns. I'm liking this. He's obviously got a very good sponsor they want to keep. <laughs> yes, but going back down to Moto3 rather than being in Moto2. Well, you know, uh, obviously he can cause less carnage there because they're going slower. And on that note, uh, we say goodbye to Nick Damon. Uh, goodbye. You will be on your way to Texas shortly. I will be leaving tomorrow morning with young Mr. Bruce Jones flying off for duties Don's Le Pit Lane. It's that time of year again. Our managing director, Eve Hewitt, is joining us here on Midweek Motorsport for Eve's Christmas present to tell me about the thinking behind the list this year, Eve. Well, we're trying to 
support the people who support the industry. So you'll hear some familiar names and you'll hear some familiar ideas, but hopefully it's just a, a new take on the list that we've done in previous years. And starting with what? Uh, an old bit of goodie, a Duke video. Um, we have a lovely discount code for you um, for the all the Mom reviews, actually, including 2018. So you can get the official... 2018 highlights video which features our audio um, on the Duke video site. And what's the code for that? LMXMUS, LMXMUS 18. What, what I'm going to do, John, with all of these is put them up on the collective. Um, so rather than get hung up on all of that now, we'll go through and, and do each item and then I'll just list them and I'll also tweet them out. So that's the long uh, highlights version, which is available as uh, Blu-ray as well and the opportunity to apply that discount code to any of the previous ones uh, as well so if there's any gaps in your collection that's good moving on number two number two is 2a and 2b so i have drew gibson's fabulous calendar um which as we say think of it not as a calendar but as a work of art you can't put your dentist appointment on it but you can cut them out afterwards and have them framed um and then we also have the prescott motorsport uh, endurance calendar and we have discount code for that as well. So um, that's very kind of Prescott Motorsport to have provided us with that. Drew Gibson, uh, well-known photographer, and the guys at Prescott doing good work as well. Uh, now, we, we've talked about something to watch, something to put on your wall. What about something to wear? I'm very happy to say that the lovely Andy Blackmore is working with a company called Full Talk Gear. And they produce really fabulous t-shirts anybody who saw john doing the forts rc championship uh earlier this month no earlier this year will have seen um some of andy's work um i have a couple of his t-shirts they are fabulous they wash really well they age really well they pack down to nothing and we love them and we will have a 15 percent discount code for that as well the latest one is a shelby gt 500 uh even i've both got porsche versions of that that was the ages of porsche 911 you might have seen me uh, wearing and uh that is one of my favorite ever t-shirts uh, it's eve's christmas presents on midweek motorsport number four yes not just christmas presents though this is just christmas shopping right. because there are a few things on here that you wouldn't necessarily give as a present but you do need and one of them uh, and i make no apologies for this it's a startup business uh, it's the lovely Tom Onslow Cole and the fabulous Rebecca Jones. And this is what they do in the teeny weeny off season, which is they started up a company called Croft and Cole Christmas Trees. And um, if you've ever not wanted to faff around <sighs> with finding the right tree that doesn't have a load of gaps in it and then taking it home and having your car full of needles or worse, wrecking the top of your car... Um, with scratches then these guys do f this is a uk business but they do free uk delivery and the trees look fabulous and the trees come in a box apparently yes that's right so this is real trees but in a box delivered to your door for those of you who are time poor uh, and uh, tom and rebecca will sort you out for that moving on our lovely partners travel destinations um it's brilliant they have gift vouchers really yeah, you can buy someone a gift voucher that they can redeem against travel with travel destinations. And that could be for... You know, Daytona Rolex, it could be for Super Sebring, it could be for Le Mans or anything else that those guys do. Yeah, exactly. And so you can use those wherever. They also... Um, I, w I want you to just highlight one thing. Public camping. 
because I happened to see something on the collective about someone saying, I can't get this. Uh, this is for what event? This is for Le Mans for next year. £225 per person, uh, which includes your crossing, your camping and your entry from Monday to from Thursday to Monday inclusive. Um, And that is still available. They they are saying that sales are holding up pretty well. So I think if you, you know, that's a really good buy. I was just happening to catch that one. And the other thing to mention is that Le Mans Classic 2020 is now on sale. Really? Yeah, that far ahead. Right. Okay. So uh, something to watch. Something to look at on the walls, something to wear, something to put your Christmas baubles on, uh, and uh, somewhere to go. Uh, what about those long winter nights when you just want to uh, get the mulled wine out and maybe have a good old-fashioned family or friends game evening? This is brilliant. There's a Nürburgring Monopoly set. <laughs> and it's it's €49.95. It's at... Uh, Nurburgring-shop.de, so it's their official version, and I just think it's a fabulous, fabulous idea and a great way to spend Boxing Day. Yeah, fabulous. It also means, of course, if you go to the Nurburgring, you can pick one up for your mates as well. That's just another good reason to go to the Nurburgring before Christmas, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we've mentioned Christmas trees uh, and uh, things to hang on. Uh, Christmas trees? Yeah, th- uh, there's actually... T- one's a ha- thing to hang on a Christmas tree and one's something to wear on Christmas Day. Right. Um, I-, I don't know why llamas have suddenly become everywhere and I rather resent the cultural appropriation of our llamas. However, um, there is a fantastic fa la 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 T-shirt uh, not on the high com for £22 in various sizes and colours, which I love. Is that um, a hint? N- no. Uh, no. And 7B is a very cute llama Christmas decoration. You've, you've got some of these. I ha- well, I haven't got this one. Um, this is a new cute one um, for hanging on your Christmas tree, which is £5.50. And uh, that's at Dbor. But I'll, as again, I'll post all these links. And uh, still people out there who like good old-fashioned reading material. Joe Bradley is one of those. Buy Joe Bradley a book and you'll make him a friend of yours forever. Yes, um, but don't lend him any. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, so, Hobbo, motor, motor race, motor, motor race, motor mouth. Um, don't be put off by the fact that if you go into Amazon.co.uk, other booksellers are available, and search for it, you get two pages of Hobbit references. <laughs> um this is the book that he has produced with Andrew Marriott's help. It's the picture work is brilliant, um, and that's at Amazon.co.uk for thirty-two fifty, and Amazon.com for sixty-four ninety-one. I'm sure there are other places that those can be put, that can be purchased. Yeah, you can hear David's voice in every word of that, and as Eve said, it's worth buying as much for the the pictures uh, as for the words. There's a particular one that I like, which has uh, a fabulous tour car taking uh, a Lotus Elite, I think, down to the Nürburgring, uh, which we mentioned earlier on. Anyway, I'll leave you to discover that. Uh, not the only book you're going to recommend? No. You, if you if you can get hold of a copy um, and if you've got the kind of money it's going to take to buy one, do get a copy of Hurley. This is the Hurley Haywood um, biography, uh, A History of His Time in Motorsport. It's absolutely brilliant um there's also a picture of joe bradley in it 
Descri- Joe Bradley described as the media on page 382, I think, if I remember rightly. It isn't on Amazon.co.uk. It is on Amazon.com. If you go to hurleybook.com, uh, you can get it there as well. But for international sales, you need to send an email to the publisher. But that is on the website. It's it's not a it's not a cheap book, but this is a very comprehensive book, and it's it would land with a thud on your coffee table. But it shouldn't be left on the coffee coffee table. It needs to be opened and read. Yes, it's a, it weighs it weighs a ton. Um, but it is brilliant. Uh, and one more book no, on there? No, no, this is a, well, t- this is two things. Um, Motorsport Magazine ah. uh, has the most fabulous shop. Um, again, I'll post the link. I, I don't have a discount code for it, but it, but it is, it's a really good uh, selection of presents. I particularly like, I particularly like the Rusty Can mugs and the Cufflinks. But... So that's shop... Motorsportmagazine.com, that one. Yeah, that is shop.motorsportmagazine.com. However, in talking to Motorsport Magazine about it, um, they very sweetly came up with a special subs offer just for Midweek Motorsport listeners, which includes a free copy of the Kimmy book. So I will post that code and the link when I get it from them. So a, a discount offer on on subs yep. and the Kimmy book as well? Correct. Oh, Fantastic. Uh, if you're not subscribing already to Motorsport Magazine, you should be. Uh, and that's that's a perfect thing to add to your Christmas list there. Uh, into the home stretch now, just uh, three to go. Yep, we have the IMSA 50th anniversary book. Uh, this is available at IMSA.com only, as far as I can tell. It is a limited edition. I think they've only printed 2,000 copies and they're not reprinting it. So although it is expensive at $175, um, it is very limited uh, uh, um print run so it's beautiful and it is beautiful i'm moving on stickers now we also always talk about um le mans stickers at stickeduppforlemans.com and you can still buy our stickers there and if you add the if you go in and search, megan's pies llama the whole lot yes megan's pies llama powered by hindy um responsibly uh, powered by eve and, ver- resp- and various other bumper stickers those are still there however if you go to the main stickers 4.com site they also have a range of christmas window stickers which are lovely Mm. so you can um buy both last but by no means least in your 12 items in your christmas presents well we became available we became aware of tregothnan tea because of peter kate who obviously drives for aston martin and they make very good tea amazing tea which is actually grown in Cornwall the tea is grown in Cornwall and the tea is it's made into tea tea in Britain Um, they have some awesome Christmas uh, tea gifts which I really like but they also do fabulous Christmas wreaths and Christmas flowers so that's fabulous and that's uh, tregothnan.co.uk it's the 12 for 2018 more details on the collective and uh, tweeting out at Radio Le Mans so Uh, Keep an eye on that and don't forget those discount codes coming soon.
Sports cars now and a distinctly Asian flavour tonight. So let's start with the FIA World Endurance Championship, which is in Shanghai in China this weekend. Uh, you can hear qualifying and the race from there live on RS3 in the company of Alex Capardi and Johnny Palmer this Saturday and Sunday. And Johnny Palmer is with us now. Johnny, seems strange at this time of year to be talking about a championship where we're still a very long way from seeing titles being decided. Uh, yeah, it's a, still about two-thirds of a year away, isn't it? Le Mans 2019, uh, again, a, uh, an accelerated points affair to finish things off. We've got a very big meeting next March as well at Sebring, where, again, there's a points increase system going on. That's the Friday of the Sebring 12 hours proper. Uh, but, yeah, Shanghai brings to a close the calendar year of this first-ever World Endurance Championship that spans two, and um, it's always generated quite a good race very little crowd unfortunately but assuming the weather uh, behaves itself then we should be on course for a, a spectacular battle within gts both in the pro and the am category and you know toyota not necessarily as dominant as everyone expected with the disqualification at silverstone it's not all about the eight car with car number seven winning last time out in fuji so I mean, you can't argue it's necessarily close in LMP1, but I don't know which of the two cars, seven or eight, is necessarily going to win this weekend. And uh, in the other classes? The other classes, very tight indeed, because in LMP2, uh, there was a great story for the three Malaysian drivers, Jasmine Jafarway, Ron Tan and Nabil Jeffrey, last time out. They took victory off the back of a very good result at Silverstone. So you've now you're now in a situation where three crews, the Cinetech Alpine Matt Butt, uh, crew of Nicolas Lapierre, Pierre Thierrier and Andre Negrout lead the championship by a solitary point from then on joint points, uh, 86 for all of the Jackie Chan guys. So that is the 37 and the 38, Jasmine Jafar, Jeffrey and Tan, as I've mentioned, and then the other guys, Hope in Tongue. Gabriel Aubrey and Stefan Raquelme. So to be going into round five of an eight-round championship with three LMP2 teams separated by a single point um, is very interesting indeed. And obviously, there's so many more points up for grabs. In the GTE Drivers' Championship, um, it's certainly been the story of Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra so far off the back of a Le Mans victory. So a massive dollop of points for that. They were also winners in Fuji. So they actually go into this round with a 31-point advantage, uh, the Porsche, which I need to remind myself is the 92 car, ran as the Pink Pig at Le Mans, many will remember. And they lead Stefan Mucha and Olivier Pla in the Ford, and James Collado and Alessandro Pierguidi in the AF Corsa Ferrari. But um, Porsche's at this stage of the season to throw away. In GTE Am, again, the fortunes have been somewhat mixed. There have been a double victory for the 77 crew. One of those was Le Mans. So they're helped into a 14-point championship lead because of that. Christian Reid, Matt Campbell, Julian Andlauer. I mean, it's a very strong lineup. Andlauer, a future star. Matt Campbell, a current star. And Christian Reid, I think, has done every single World Insurance Championship round since it began um, and is Proton Racing. So they will start as one of the favourites. But... Jorg Bergmeister, Patrick Lindsay, Egidio Perfetti proved that they can win a race uh, in Fuji. So they're on 66 points. And the opening season winners, Paul Dallalana, Matthias Lauda, Pedro Lamy, in their Aston Martin, they've won the title before. 
but they've got a bit of catching up to do on 52 points. So what's that? Uh, 28 still to be gathered back. But um, yeah, I mean, normally, as you say, going into this time of year, we're talking about championship battles and, uh, you know, championships to be decided. It is a strange scenario that we'll still have three races to go after this one. Well, uh, one week later than the WEC at Shanghai is the start of the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, so that's a championship that's just beginning at this time of year. And we have some news from that because uh, United Autosports have announced that Chris Buncombe will uh, join Garrett Grist and Wayne Boyd uh, for their final LMP3 car in the championship. Uh, it's Chris Buncombe's first uh, time with the team, though he did race uh, in Formula Vauxhall Junior with JLR, which was Richard Dean's former team, um, some 20-something years ago. Uh, that means that the reigning Asian Le Mans Series LMP3 champions, Guy Cosmo and Patrick Byrne, are moving up to LMP2, uh, where they'll be joined by Sally Yolich. A couple of days ago, John caught up with Guy and Patrick and asked them how the move from LMP3 to LMP2 came about. Well, you know, we were just going about our normal plans, communicating with Richard Dean and all the guys at United Autosports, and um, randomly in conversation about some other topics, he mentioned that uh, they still had one of their P2 cars vacant. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, stop, randomly. Yeah, yeah, let's just time out and let's, let's talk about that for a second. So, you know... It's something that Patrick and I had wanted to do. Uh, our sponsor, Torxon, as well, as, you know, benefited from us winning the championship in LMP3 last year, and it was a great opportunity for us. So, in theory, we're looking for the advancement to move up. You know, we won that Le Mans entry last year from the championship win. Mm -hmm. Couldn't take up the opportunity to do Le Mans, you know, not prepared with budgets and timing and, and just everything involved. So, stepping up now, there was an opportunity there. We capitalized on it. We got all parties involved to agree to make it happen so we're really excited. It's a natural prog progression for us to, to do that within the ACO family and to uh, show our advancement and our commitment. And, uh, you know, we've got some additional partners on board for this championship in Asia, and we're looking to get more on board as we uh, plan for down the road. But we're just stoked. You know, what a way to, uh, to go back, defend our championship, and, you know, upgrade. So we're excited. So the original plan, Patrick, for this year was to repeat LMP Three, you're gonna get you have to have to get your head around a, a a new car. Yeah, that's right. It's uh it's gonna be a big step up into LMP2, but at the same time, it it feels right, and I feel like we're pretty well prepared. We know the tracks, we know how it works over there in Asia. Jumping up into an LMP2 from LMP3 is kind of what the LMP3 was made to do, and so um, yeah, I think we're ready. Now, Guy mentioned there that you guys were in the championship last year. Gave you. Uh, an invitation to the Le Mans 24 hours which you weren't able to take up um, presumably then if you were to repeat and get the opportunity here would you be able to take that up in the next cycle of Le Mans racing? I mean we'd love to um, really Le Mans comes down to funding and that would have been in an LMP2 car as well so we were ready there to jump up um, this year, if, if we have the chance to do that, which we're going to hope, hopefully have the chance, then, yeah, we'll work as hard as we can to get the funding for Le Mans. Um, whether or not it'll actually work out is anyone's guess. But Have you driven an LMP2 car before? I have not. Never driven an LMP2. So we're going into Shanghai a little bit blind on the car side. What's the th what is he going to find the most difficult guy jumping out of a P3 car and the, all that experience in the P3 car, albeit at the same tracks? Where, what, what do you think? What's the advice you're going to have to give him? 
I think the car is going to suit Patrick's driving style. He's very methodical. He's uh, a driver that puts in limited inputs, right? He doesn't, he's not aggressive with the wheel. He's precise with the wheel. I think what he'll find with the P2 car is that it's going to do everything better, but it's going to track more like it's on rails. Mm. The LMP3, although it is a prototype, it does still move and hustle and slide around a little bit like a GT car does. So I think this is a step that's going to be eye-opening for Patrick because it is quick. I also have not been in one of the current generation P2 cars, and although this is now a previous generation car that we're running in Asia, but, uh, you know, it's a learning curve for the three of us. Sal Yolok is uh, driving with us also. He's never been in a P2 no. car as well. So, you know, I'll be familiarizing myself. I'll be conveying that information to them, but I think it's, uh, it's a car that's going to require high levels of commitment, but it's going to convey that information better. You would certainly be in championship contenders again in LMP3. Where do you put yourselves in the LMP2 category, and, and what do you hope to get from this year? You first go. Well, we know the class is stacked, right? There's going to be some lineups that are going to be absolutely stellar. So I would honestly say we're going into this understanding that we're probably not going to be the pace setters when you look at the, uh, the guys that we're up against with the level of P2 experience they have. However, we have <laughs> consistency intelligence and perseverance on our side so we're talking about your two teammates there obviously it's clearly <laughs> yes so you know we we won that championship last year by just doing a solid job yes. we were not the quickest car at all of these races and we had a, a real competitive scenario car was quick drivers were quick but you know you don't need to be the fastest guy out there to be no. a champion and uh we're looking to repeat that and patrick is it dangerous to set yourself goals and expectations for this year or is it is essential to do that to to find out how far along you're going yeah um i would i would say i guess it's more essential because you have to be able to grab something but mm. at the same time i i'm all about prepared arriving with the best foot forward being the best guy out there mentally physically psychologically and then seeing what comes about on the racetrack and so you know, hoping for the best, aiming for the best, and we'll find out what we receive. And also in the Asian Le Mans series, the Fuji-based Car Guy team will join the Asian Le Mans series for full season effort in the Ferrari 488 GT3. Uh, the reigning Lamborghini Super Trofeo Asia champion, Kei Kotsalino, and uh, Takeshi Kimura will be joined by James Collado in that entry. Uh, now, Super GT came to a conclusion at the weekend just gone and going into the final race four cars could have won the title and two of them were tied on points at the top of the championship what happened Johnny Yeah it it sort of came down to the uh, team team Kunimitsu Honda NSX the Braybrig car of Jensen Button and Naoki Yamamoto and Rio Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy's Keeper Tom's car um it developed into basically a, a kind of one race championship shootout whereby the Jensen Button car and the Rio Hirakawa car were tailing one another while Hirakawa behind Button and desperate to get by. And at certain points in the latter stage of the race, they were nose to tail. Uh, Button afterwards saying it was basically the drive of his life. Um, I think possibly he didn't remember back to 2009 so much because that is nearly 10 years ago. But, um, they won by three points, did Jensen Button and Naoki Yamamoto, thanks to, I mean, the hard work that Yamamoto put in. And let us not forget that he is the joint 
Super GT and Super Formula champion for 2018. I was surprised to hear that that's actually the fourth time that's been done. You would expect that that would be a rare event. A lot of the top drivers in Super GT do do uh, Super Formula and previously Formula Nippon uh, as a sort of parallel effort, and they, they use the money that they get paid for the the Super GT effort to uh, part fund their uh, Super Formula effort. So I know that uh, a couple of uh, European drivers have done that before. Uh, Richard Lyons did it. Uh, Pedro de la Rosa did it. Um, anyone else? You said there were four. So who's the fourth one? Toshi Motoyama in 2003 was the third. And then the fourth was this weekend. The weekend just yeah. gone. Um, so 78 points from 75. That came with a victory at Sugo earlier on in the year. And they had four podiums, did Naoki and Jensen, through the course of the season. Rio Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy must be kicking themselves, thinking, you know, if we'd have clawed back a, just three points earlier on in the season, it might have been a very different story. But you can't really argue with, uh, you know, four teams being in contention, as you say, and two of those teams tied on 67 points going into the final event at Motegi. In GT300, um, everybody expected a slightly different result with the BMW winning, but it was a Mercedes-AMG from K2 R&D Leon Racing, the 65 crew of Haruki Kurosawa and Naoyo Gamu, who won by four points in the end, and that was thanks to victory at Motegi. So I don't don't think they necessarily needed to win, but they did all they possibly could and top step of the podium gets them the GT300 title. Uh, coming back to Europe for our final sportscast story, and this involves the British GT Championship. We have a very strong entry has been announced involving uh, Johnny Adam uh, and the and a previous uh, GT Cup champion in the shape of Graham Davidson. Two Scottish drivers together in a uh, Tom Ferrier prepared Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Yeah, Johnny and Tom have been working together for, for quite a while now. And, of course, Johnny not part of the works driver lineup currently in the World Endurance Championship, so instead races with TF Sport. Um, and he's going to get to drive the brand-new GT3 spec Aston Martin. So that's been in development for much of this year. They still only have had one test car, but it's been all around Europe and I think a little bit further as well. Debuted at the Nürburgring uh, on the Nordschleifer in a VLN race this year, you may remember. Um, Graham has done a season of GTs now. He, he Prior to that, done a, a one or two 24H series events, might have done the odd VLN as well, but um, obviously a sustained effort in British GT now. Has raced the older spec, Aston Martin, did that last year with Maxime Martin with Jetstream. So it's a change of team, but it is you know a, a kind of plug-out, plug-in, very similar super fast works Aston Martin driver. So that's the, that won't be a variable, basically. Maxine Martin and Johnny Adam are within the sort of top 3% of GT3 drivers. So uh, it, it, it may well be a slightly different approach that Johnny takes as far as mentoring is concerned. But I still think, you know, he'll get all the support he, he requires will Graham Davidson. And this will bring his career on, again, leaps and bounds. Um, it's been, I think, seven years of development since the, the uh, this this year's Aston Martin into next year's. Um, you know, they've had they've had seven years of development for the Aero, for 
the mechanics as well. And Johnny Adams says it, it is an incredible car. Uh, I don't think it will actually take Graham too long to get used to it, but there's no question about having Johnny alongside him because you know that's one of the blokes that, that's helped develop the thing, so he can uh, teach Graham all the ins and outs and all the secret intricacies of it. Okay, Johnny Palmer for now. Thank you very much. I've logged Mark in the shed, so I get to say still to come on Midweek Motorsport. On the second half of tonight's programme, Shea Adam will be with us to look at the the playoffs for NASCAR. It's down to, well, winner takes all, sort of, as the final four have now been decided. And it's off to Miami Homestead to find out who will be the champion for 2018. And we'll also have some goodbyes as well, including one of the most su- successful sporting partnerships of any sport of all time Uh, that's in the second hour of tonight's programme here on RS1 Midweek Motorsport but coming up next it's the big interview Scott Atherton with us at Sebring at the weekend to talk about all things IMSA Midweek Motorsport on RS1 Joining us for our nine o'clock interview this week is none other than the man who, well, he and I have stood together in various broadcast booths uh, around the world and certainly around the United States for many years. Uh, Scott Atherton, I'm delighted to say, is still the man at the top of IMSA, at top of a championship, an organisation, Scott, that is going from strength to strength. It seems only yesterday in some respects that we uh, had the merger IMSA was in some ways reborn and sports car racing took a new turn in the United States of America. Uncertain steps, perhaps, to start with. And yet we come out to 2018. And if we look at that to start with as probably one of the most successful years ever for IMSA in any of its guises. Well, first of all, John, I'm more pleased than I can put into words the fact that you and I are still standing in a, in a broadcast booth 20 years on because I think it's been that long. Oh, yes. But uh, to respond specifically to your statement about 18, I could not agree more. Uh, you think back, believe it or not, it's been six years since the merger was announced back in September of 12. If you recall, we ran the two entities separately, Grand Am and ALMS through 13, and then merged the two together into one in 14. A lot of heavy lifting, a lot of uh, a lot of effort by a lot of good people to put the foundation in place that, frankly, is what we are now benefiting from. And 2018 is a perfect example of all of the restructuring, all of the commitments, all of the resource being put together as a result of that merger and then coming to fruition with the results that we all witnessed through the 18 season. Uh, it, it would be remiss of me not to speak to you about that past 20 years without mentioning Dr. Don Pernos, because without him, neither of us would be standing here right now. Yeah, um, he was one true. of a number of, of things, people, changes that we, we had to, to, with heavy heart, in, particularly in that case, say goodbye to in 2018. And, and but he has left IMSA in such a strong position that it, that is actually... That is part of his legacy, isn't it? No question. I, I, I think if there is a legacy that will hopefully live on forever, it is Motul Petit Le Mans. 
and the the creation of that event, which was the catalyst that created the American Le Mans series, the single event that then morphed into a full racing championship. And we talked about it this year. You know, if you recall, the the weather was absolutely perfect. Close. The racing was some of the best, if not the best, we've ever seen over the entire 10-hour competition. To have the lead change on the last turn oh. of the last lap after 10 hours of racing. and You've you got know, to feel Don's hand, <laughs> Dr. Well, P's hand point. in that, haven't you? Yeah. On, on the pre-race, you know, where we sent the GTR1 and the Delta Wing out for the ceremonial laps, he was there. Yeah. I mean, and, and we had this perfect, perfect weather conditions and just everything falling into place. and. You know, I looked up. I said, "Don, thanks, man. Appreciate it. We owe you." Yeah, there, there was a there was a tear in my eye before the the start and and at the end. Um, the great thing is that he's put you, me, so many people in this paddock in a position to take his vision on uh, from a position of strength. Now, Scott, and it has to be said, um, if we look at DPI uh, and the prototype, the secondary prototype category that we've got to look in. I look at for next year which is the the p2 category um we are looking at a strong category we are looking at a category that people all around the world are looking at it might only be north america but it is a truly international in its character and in its application by the guys at imsa technical and and the guys who, who run the organization yeah the the one word response is uh working it's working and we want that to continue. You know, we continue also to be part of the process with the FIA, with the ACO, urgently seeking a global solution. Our position has not changed from day one, that that certainly is the goal, but not if it comes at the expense of us feeling as if we are having to give up what we have currently working for us here in North America with the DPI LMP2 combination. So you're right. The the category is remarkably strong. Um, I think the last count that we saw, because you you never really count them until the entries come in. (laughs) But if if you were speculating, you know, there's somewhere in the 10, 11, 12 DPI entry number. Uh, LMP2, we were surprised by some of the P2 teams that quickly evolved to become customer DPI teams, which and is... And kudos uh, to the DPI manufacturers for getting cars available as well, it should be said. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, tip of the hat to Cadillac for sure, um, you know, and their constructor partner, Delara, for enabling that. Uh, it, but in the P2 category, we've had, you know, probably the most high-profile team, Core, come out early and say, we're in, and uh, and hopefully that propagates some others. Um, we continue to get a lot of phone calls, a lot of inquiry, even this weekend here in Sebring, walking the paddock, people approaching. Uh, there's cars available. Um, it's it's going to be a fantastic opportunity for pro-am teams to run for for watches at Daytona and championships throughout the WeatherTech season. Seems like I've said similar words to what I'm about to say to you many times about many initiatives that IMSA have, have put together down through the years. The DPI concept wasn't universally met with a, a round of applause. There were people who said, it's the wrong thing, it's not going to work. And yet it has, so well done. It's also, effectively, what the ACO are talking about for the hypercars. It's DPI hybrid, but that's, that's the concept. Take the 
centre section of a racing car, throw some bodywork that is evocative of a manufacturer, not necessarily a particular model, not even a model that exists, in fact, and go racing with it. Is is imitation the, the sincerest <laughs> form of, of flattery as far as that? Okay, there's a hybrid concept, which I know isn't in DPI, but, but that is effectively DPI hybrid, isn't it? Uh, yes is the short answer. Uh, I, I read, as I'm sure you do, a lot of the blog posts, and you know, we have some core fans that are remarkably knowledgeable of <laughs> what we do. In some cases, well, you've seen the tweets that come in. Yeah, but you know, there's the oddball, you know, the wild card that's out there, way out there, and you ignore those. But there's some that truly have a not just a grasp, but a a firm grip on what's happening. Mm. And you know, some of them are incredibly talented in terms of putting out simulations and CAD drawings and artist conceptions of. And I've seen more and more examples lately of, you know, well, hang on a minute. You know, isn't what's being proposed now effectively a next generation DPI? Yeah. And and I want to go back to something you said a moment ago about the hybridization. Mm. We're not opposed to that. In fact, when you look at where we are today in the auto industry as a whole and directionally where things are headed, and then you factor in that for us, it's 2022 when the next generation DPI would come into play. Right. So here we are at the end of 18, 19, 20, 21, January 22, new content, new product. I'm going to go out on a limb here, which isn't much of a limb, and say just about everything is going to be electrified in some Some form or another. And for that reason, we're not opposed to it. We take our cues from our OE partners. What do you guys want to do? And we sit in a room with the doors closed and the drapes drawn, and we we have those candid conversations. And I would say we're all together in it. Now, nobody wants to repeat history and have an arms race where the budgets blow the lid off and suddenly the board of directors says, wait a minute, you know, how much did we spend on this? Mm -hmm. That's what we've avoided with DPI. It's very reasonably cost effective such that it delivers an ROI that can very return on investment for those of you who don't do that can be justified it can be justified absolutely it's a nothing in racing is ever cheap but it's it is justifiable and cost effective for a manufacturer to spend maybe a million maybe a million and a half if you say that fast it's hardly anything and and actually in in an OEM in an original equipment manufacturer a car manufacturer that's small change to do that, to get an aero package, to get the design, mm-hmm. and then to go to one of the manufacturers who already have those chassis, it's actually pretty sensible money to go. I mean, the AC are talking about 20 million, 20 euros. million euros. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that ballpark about what, what some of the teams here are spending? I, I think they're probably not spending that much. No, that's unfortunately, that's the disconnect. Um, when we nobody will actually open the books and tell you exactly and, <laughs> no. and there's all kinds of creative accounting and what gets amortized and what gets expensed etc but to make it easy to understand that for our full season of a dpi is around about a 2x about really? double right and that's the top example because okay. there's the budget to race and then there's the budget to win and the budgets that are winning races and in, in, in the hunt for championships are somewhere in the half of that 20 million euro okay. target. 
Now, ironically, when you look at a full season of WEC and a full season of the WeatherTech Championship in terms of hours of running, mm-hmm. mileage, et cetera, it's almost identical. Identical. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, you're you're floating equipment around the world, uh, so there's a big cost factor associated with the, the transportation and logistics that we don't feature here. But when we go to the manufacturers and say, we're not opposed to that, yeah. as long as you're prepared to make a commitment to run in a North American championship with that same approach. Yes. And unfortunately, as we speak today, we're not getting positive feedback from our existing manufacturers and those that have expressed an interest for the future. So therein, as I said, lies the disconnect. You know, if they were saying, yeah, we're all in with a WEC commitment and we're ready to commit to yes. IMSA for the WeatherTech Championship, same car, same technology, boy, we'd, we'd sign up for it. But right now, that's not the case. You're talking, you know, you've, you've rightly mentioned there that the, the DPI V2.0 um, is not till 2022. That's, that's quite some time away. Um, it's not that long away in terms of people conceiving, developing, and getting a car ready to go and race. Are you expecting more manufacturers to come in into the current rules? No secrets, no names, no pack drill. But is there enough time left in the current regulations for a, a manufacturer to say, we want to stick our toe in this pond? Yes, and it's because of the efficiency of what it takes to for a manufacturer to go DPI racing. You've got an existing chassis with an existing constructor. It's all done. It's ready to go. And time as well, presumably. You turn around quite time. quickly. They, there's been some remarkable turnarounds that have happened between the time that the OE green-lighted the project and when the car appeared on the racetrack competitively. Uh, you don't have that gestation period of a clean screen design yeah. and all of the simulation and all the tooling and then the construction and then the testing and, and then the more testing mm-hmm. and then finally go and racing. It, it's as close to turnkey as you can get. And I would say right now, if a manufacturer wanted to go today, uh, it's conceivable because we have one example where it was mid-November when the green light went on right. and they were on the grid ready to race in January at Daytona. Extraordinary. Yeah, it's possible, though. Right. So we keep our fingers crossed for that because the more the merrier is what you're saying. Now, I know we've got a chassis manufacturer for each of the manufacturers, the OE manufacturers, the car manufacturers who are out there. But there's nothing that says that, you know, somebody can't do one. There you go. There's one over there for you, Mr. Manufacturer A. Here's one for you, Mr. Manufacturer B. Correct. Yeah, they're, they're all, you know, the difference here is obviously powertrain so it's engine it's operating systems that's all unique to each oe and then you have the design cues that are baked into the bodywork to give it some identification consistent with that brand whether it's a mazda a cadillac an acura etc so that's relatively easy um you know you get your design department you get your engineering we put it in a wind tunnel we enable that car through our own adjustments to be in the same that's box. That's an IMSA technical part of it. That's that's right from the very concept of the car. Correct. Both engines and aero are matched. Mm. They're all within a box. So no two are alike, but all are similar. And everybody then, once we set those parameters, mm. then we go racing. Yeah. And that's what separates 
the manufacturer efforts, the team, the driver, the strategy, the engineering, the development, etc. How important is it for those OE manufacturers who've got cars out there, like Cadillac, to say, we will make cars available? And is there any thought that you might say to one or two of the other manufacturers who currently aren't, haven't got cars available, come on, guys, you need to step this up a little bit. You need to make some available to, to some of the teams who want to buy them. We haven't played that card to try to influence uh you know when dpi was created it was with the vision of a factory-backed professional team you being the manufacturer decide how you want to go racing with whom you want to race with very few requirements limitations on our part because we wanted it to be the prototype version of what gtlm represents so it's if you want to have a two-car factory effort with your own team and your own drivers, your own engineers, your own everything, come on, let's do it. If they choose to have an example of that and make similar equipment available to independent teams that don't have that direct factory affiliation, no problem. Mm. Come on. We'll we're welcome that as well. But there's no requirement. Okay. Now, I do know that there's at least one example where – the factory has agreed with the team operating the program that they're exclusive. You know, we're not going to go customer racing. Right. It's going to be all our efforts, all of our capabilities right. focused on this team. And regardless of who approaches us, you're it. Right. Um, now, that could change over time, but that's the mode that we're in right now. You mentioned, in. You, you, you mentioned uh, GT Le Mans there, um, GTE, as, as we know in the... Uh, in the rest of the world. Um, we've had some stunning racing in the last few years yeah. with that. That's Opportunity for some new cars coming in. Um, possibly some new manufacturers. We'd, we'd like to see Aston Martin back. Yeah, I would love to. And uh, actively in dialogue, uh, but that's not new. That's, that's not a recent development. Um, it's frustrating for us because, you know, when we do have those conversations... The North American market is always ranked at or near the top in terms mm. of priority. Uh, they're active in other parts of the world. They've got this very unique new platform that mm. seems to be capable of, of a GT3 application, of a GTE application, mm. all using the same platform with, I, I don't want to dismiss it, but bolt-on parts. Yeah. Uh, and that seems ideal. And Very smart. Be, to be able to come to North America and and win in that category at Daytona and win at that category at Sebring or Long Beach or fill in the blank, um, all on NBC television, I might add. Slip that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just seems like a, uh, a, a really, you know, round hole, round peg solution for a brand that is very much looking to ramp up its scope and scale, not only in a across the world, but here in North America. And a brand, and they're not unique in this, that has GT4, GT3, and GTE product. Yeah. Um, is there still a requirement? And I'm not passing judgment here. I'm just asking this question because I don't know. Is there still a requirement for a manufacturer to um, register and pay a registration fee with him, sir? Um, I, yeah, you you could call it any number of things. I, I would prefer to say it's, it's more of a, an investment in activation. Right. And the answer to your question is yes. And it, that's one of the unique things that I think separates IMSA and especially the WeatherTech Championship is when we proudly make the statement that there's 14 mainstream luxury premium automotive brands actively competing in IMSA, 
it just doesn't mean that there happens to be that brand entered and visible on the grid. It means that that manufacturer has made a commitment to be a part of our TV broadcast, to display their consumer product at our events, to activate around their successes with win ads, mm. to leverage their investment in motorsports beyond simply putting a car in the grid. Right. And it's it's not an unreasonable request or unreasonable requirement in the grand scheme of things as far as the budgets required to compete at that level not to be dismissive but it, it's a rounding error by comparison <laughs> but it's equal for all you know everybody right. they may grumble and groan but when they know that everyone else that's out there is being held to the same standard everybody just gets on with it and and is that a, is that a one-time thing in terms of right you know you're a, you're a manufacturer partner of IMSA there's an amount we expect you to invest. I like that. I like that that term, uh, that form of words. Does that give you then access to GT4, GT3, and GTE? For yes. A, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not a sliding scale or anything no, like that. Once once you're in, you're in. And wow. Then, uh, so sweat the asset, boys. You want to leverage that, and you know, here's where we do get some grumbling from a, a manufacturer that has, in some cases, a single car. Yes. Says, hey, you know, this is kind of unfair. We've got this one entry. Others have many others. They can spread it out. Um, mm. That's a, a difficult statement to respond to because yeah. we don't control that. You know, if, if you want to go out and, and, and plant your your vehicles with other teams, you know, there's there's a wide open paddock out there, and there's a lot of uh, aggressive salesmanship that's going yes. on, especially in the customer racing categories, GTD. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're all. Some would say fighting over the same size of the cake. I would disagree with that. Uh, that that cake seems to be getting bigger. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and, and IMSA has tapped into the potential for bringing people through the development series, whether it's on the single manufacturer championship. You think particularly of Porsche, who've been here right since the beginning of, of, of Don's odyssey. Here, yeah. If we go back to Dr. P. Um, the Lamborghini challenge has been a, a tremendous success. And then you look at what for 2019 is uh, very exciting to me, which is the Michelin Pilot uh, Challenge with TCR and GT4 GS. Yep. Two new, two new TCR manufacturers, uh, both H's, uh, yep. Hyundai yeah. and, and Honda, yeah. uh, jumping into that shark pool yeah. of, of competition. That two, looked, two boutique manufacturers there. Well, yeah. Low volume, right? Yeah, barely, barely <laughs> ever heard of them. They don't sell that many cars. Yeah. I mean, there's a big smile on your face, and rightly so, Scott, because, again, TCR brought into that championship. That was met by, well, we're not sure, but already, I mean, we had as many as 10 cars uh, through the inaugural season, and, and IMSA have seen the possibilities there of bringing... Brian Hurt was telling me that the the Hyundai Veloster uh, TCR, the um, the N TCR, is is one hundred and thirty five thousand euros. Well, yep. If you're talking about value for money to go yep. racing yeah, in a, a series like the Michelin Pilot Challenge, remarkable. Uh, everything you've said, I nod my head in aggressive agreement. Um, it it has become a not just an attractive, but I think a um, just an, an ideal solution to a problem we all recognized years ago and were somewhat reluctant to to make changes. And I'm referring to the ST model of enabling teams to go out, take a car from a junkyard, take a body in white from a manufacturer, drag it back to the shop, and build their own bespoke race car 
to a rule book, mm-hmm. but no two were alike. No. And everybody kind of had their own take on things. The level of sophistication that today's consumer road car features, even entry-level examples mm-hmm. with airbags and side warnings and you know lane change technology and, and, and. And when you disconnect those things, because none of that applies to a race car, but the the car is so computer driven that when those things are disconnected, it says, that's it. I'm out. I'm shutting down. Yeah. You're not moving an inch. Blue screen. Yeah. <laughs> Control, alt, delete. Buffering. Yes. You know, the whole the thing. The Catherine wheel of frustration. So we, you know, with the romance of building and racing and having the satisfaction of, you know, I built that. I raced it. I won with it. Man, you know, aren't I great? That's we all lament the fact that that era has passed us. Mm. And we had a lot of frustration and a lot of reluctance when we first talked about going to GT4 mm. in, uh, in the GS category, going to TCR and, and sunsetting what was the ST category. But now that you look at how these cars have evolved and the value for dollar equation that they represent mm. and a turnkey solution that the teams can just, drop into and go i think in the not distant future the romance of that past era will be just that it'll be in the rearview mirror with all eyes focused forward and in fairness so many of the teams who including some of them that said oh i'm not sure about this we've invested a lot of time and energy into building this car um whatever model it was some of those guys have already made the transition even before this year have gone to uh, to tcr or all the way to GT4, and they've, they've realised, oh, I wish we'd done this years ago, is exactly. what one of the team owners yep. said to me. Uh, we, you're with Scott Atherton on our 9 o'clock interview this evening. want to finish up, Scott, with a couple of things, looking at the, the, the broader uh, scene outside of the, the IMSA paddock, although the first one is close to home, because uh, potential changes for NASCAR, International Speedway Corporation, um, First of all, explain what's going on and, and then tell me how it's going to impact, if anything, in what IMSA does and what our fans are likely to see. Right. Last Friday, uh, there was a news that broke out of Daytona Beach that involved confirmation that NASCAR had tendered an offer to acquire the remaining shares of International Speedway Corporation, ISC. ISC has been and is today a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. It's it's controlled by the same family, the same holding company that owns NASCAR in that they have, uh, I believe, and this is all easily Google search, so I'm not sharing anything that's confidential. I believe the uh, the current holding within NASCAR of ISC is roughly 40%, right. but they have a controlling interest okay. in, in terms of voting. So there's a 60% of the company that's out there owned by other shareholders that NASCAR has now tendered an offer to purchase okay. and to ultimately make both companies private. So to take it be- from being publicly listed back into the family control, uh, thereby not having to answer to those shareholders and being able to what? what what's the what's the end game there, Scott? If 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 you can share that. Yeah, I, I'm not involved at that level. You know, this is something that involves Jim France and Lisa France Kennedy um, and and the board of of ISC and and NASCAR as well. You, you could argue that it it gives them ultimate flexibility and complete control, not only without other shareholder influence and input, but 
you know, gone are the restrictions of operating a public company, you know, SEC, okay. quarterly reporting, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I think it also represents an opportunity for great efficiency uh, historically and as we are today. There's a lot of separation of church and state for obvious reasons. Yes. Um, you know, NASCAR has an HR department. ISC has one. Mm-hmm. Legal, uh, accounting, uh, risk. I mean, all of that conceivably, you know, gets combined into one entity. A lot of efficiency there. And I, I think it's a re- it represents an incredible investment by the family to lay down a bet that is if you were looking for a long-term play well that that's exactly this, what is, say. this is it because this is not a quick turn so so anybody who, who i still think back to those people who said at the time of the merger ah you know nascar always the, the entity that was talked about nascar are only buying alms and, and imza to shut it down yeah. You know, do you remember that? Oh, believe me. Yeah. I was uh, scheduled to last six months. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still here. Every day is a gift. <laughs> um, it sounds to me like a long-term player as well. How, in any way, does it potentially affect IMSA, affect what's going on with the WeatherTech Championship, or indeed anything that falls? Because, you know, your office is at... One Bill France Boulevard, yeah. it's, it's in the NASCAR building. A- any effect at all, or at least any negative effect, is what I, the listener wants to know. Yeah, it's a great question. It, it's too early to know for sure, but on the surface, I don't think there's any impact. Um, we're not part directly of any or either of those two entities. We are owned by NASCAR Holdings, the mother mothership. But just as we operate today, we have tremendous autonomy. Um, both Jim and Lisa have enabled Ed Bennett and myself, the rest of our management team, to operate IMSA almost exclusively you know, of our own devices. And, you know, we take the blame and we get the credit, you know, when, uh, whenever that, wherever that tends to fall. But I don't see that changing. Um, you know, Jim and Lisa have given us all of the resources that we need. Uh, it's a no excuses era for sports car racing. Uh, we used to always, you know, back in the ALMS, and I'm sure Grand Am was the same way. Gosh, if we only had this, this, and that, you know, we could really make it work. Yes. And those days are gone. You know, right now, if you're not making it work, um, shame on you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring it back to here as we finish up uh, our 9 o'clock interview with Scott Atherton. We're at Sebring, and Sebring is going next year to be a particularly special event in so many different ways. 50th anniversary of IMSA for the whole year, and there'll be all kinds of... of flag waving and uh, and fun and serious things that go on around that but also we welcome back the WEC here to yes. race on Friday I've been over and seen the new pit lane on driver's right down the back straight uh, how's that com- how are the plans for that coming that's not something that you can do even if we had an off season which we don't that's not something you can do in a couple of weeks in the off season so presumably that's been going on for a long time how far down the line with the, your, your colleagues over at, at the WEC and MEM under Gerard Naveau. How's that going and how's that now shaping up? We've got a schedule, that's great, but there's all kinds of things that have to work around that, Scott. Yeah, it, it, you are exactly right. It is a massive undertaking to put two world-class events into a venue on the same weekend that was already fully subscribed. And I'm referring Squeaking to at the seams. Yeah, I mean the the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring was extremely well attended. We we lacked for nothing, you know, mm. in terms of manufacturer involvement, fan response, corporate hospitality. You name the category, it was at a very high level. Now you bake in a 
full round of the World Endurance Championship, and what do you do? Well, the logistical realities of fitting all of that incremental content into the paddock, creating a dedicated pit lane so that you're not having a, a nightmare of product Flip, to, flop, yeah. in and out of the existing pits. The meetings started, no exaggeration, 8 o'clock Sunday morning after this year's race. So that's where things so began. that was back in March. In earnest. Yeah, now they, there had been lots of emails and phone calls and lots of mental processing taking place before that. But the whole, we had a giant conference room over at the hotel, probably 30 people in attendance from marketing to logistics to operations. Wayne Estes, who's the president and GM at Sebring here, and his team have done an incredible job while continuing to operate an extremely busy racetrack that is rented almost every day of the year. We're replacing the bridge that provides access over into Green Park to get rid of the bottleneck that's been there since it was built back in 1950-something. In addition to creating the new dedicated WC pit lane down the Ullman Strait, a significant paddock expansion, a an, an incremental paddock created so that we could get not only the WeatherTech Championship cars in, the Michelin Pilot Challenge cars in, all of the other support races, the single makes, mm-hmm. the um, prototype challenge cars, etc. Everybody's going to be on pavement. Everybody's going to have wow. an appropriate place to operate. We've got an unbelievably busy schedule. Yes. This will be the ultimate, ultimate sports car ticket, the ultimate event. Book now. It's incredible. Yeah. If book now applies to the hotel or mm. accommodations, however they may be, Airbnb, bringing your own tent, yeah. renting an RV, uh, it is going to be a full house by every measure, but what a weekend. And it's the little things, isn't it? I mean, you know, I was just thinking about different signage requirements and you know how it looks on tv and we'll come to tv to finish off with yeah. in in a moment but it's those little things that you can't leave till the last moment because yeah. on friday afternoon as as they're about to go green flag gerard can't be going uh hang on what do we need we, we yeah. shouldn't be seeing that over there yeah where's my dhl sign yeah, yeah. exactly it's, uh, and you know credit to everybody who's thinking there let's well we we look forward to that i, I, we I got a plan we got a plan. And, and I get to sit and watch it with my yeah. feet up, which I'm really looking forward to on Friday night. Um, so let's let's finish off on another big positive. Um, and, it, and it speaks to where IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, and, and all of, of what you're doing is is in itself at the moment and, and how grown up it's become in that short six years that we were talking about. And that's NBC Sports yeah. here in the States. Um, Fox have been a great supporter down through the years. The, 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 the opportunity to change, the time for change is there. What is the fan going to see different? And what is the, the big, from your point of view, the big pluses that the fans both here in the States and further afield will see in 2019? Fox did nothing wrong. They were great partners for five years. They, they did us right many, many, many times. Uh, and it was rare that we felt like we weren't being respected and, uh, and well taken care of. But I will say that NBC's approach to motorsport broadcasting in general is at a whole different level. Yeah. Um, Sam Flood and, and his team are passionate motorsports fans, and it comes Sam through. Sam Flood, effectively, the commissioning editor at, at NBC he, who looks after all of that director. He's the guy that, uh, that decides what pictures and what content we see mm. when it comes into our television screens or onto our phones or iPads or whatever. 
he's a fan. He's a passionate fan, and it, and it comes through their approach. I will say, with all respect, we've had more dialogue and genuine exchanging of ideas and vision and plans with NBC in the last 90 days than we had in the past five years combined. Right. And I'll give you one textbook example. Early next month, so the first week in December, we've been invited to a motorsports summit meeting at the NBC Sports headquarters in Connecticut that will involve senior top-level management from NASCAR, IndyCar, and IMSA. And the whole goal is to identify the synergistic opportunities that will enable all of us combined to raise the tide. Mm -hmm. We're not competing. Let's let's not step on each other's toes. Let's not schedule events that are on top of each other so that we have to decide who gets on and who doesn't. Let's work together. Let's have big events that precede our broadcasts that lead into our show and vice versa. Yep. So... That type of planning and forethought and, and just having NBC as the, the hub yes. with the rest of us becoming the spokes yep. and, and knowing that we're in this together. And I, as a group, we are thrilled by what this means to us, and it's going to be a game changer for our fans. So from what you're saying there, NBC are looking for a motorsport audience, not an IndyCar audience and a NASCAR audience over there and over here an IMSA audience they're bringing it all together and saying guys we can do a, a bigger job here yep. because the people who live on the edges of all of those might be fans of all of them let's not make them make choices let's make them go NBC Sports that's where I need to be tuned into this weekend because every time I turn it on there's going to be something I want to watch I love that idea they, and it's actually really common sense they've described themselves as the home of American motorsport well, and uh, no one's going to argue that and, and to your point, it's, you're right. They, they're not trying to pick sides. You know, it's not less filling, tastes great. Uh, it's, we're, we're in this together, and they are committed to growing this audience for obvious reasons. They've made tremendous investments here. Mm-hmm. They, they are all in. You know, they slid their chips across the table and said, motorsport, we're in. And uh, we're not going to disappoint them. And, and let's not forget, for those of you outside of the U.S. who are listening to this, uh, NBC is America's Olympic broadcaster and therefore they have a huge audience and their commitment to other sports including things like English football, uh, English Premier League um, all kinds of other sports here in the States as well their, their sports content generally away from motorsports is top notch get the NBC Sports app you can watch all of Everything. our races live to live <laughs> flag to flag including 24 hours 12 hours etc um, we just found out earlier, I'm, I'm going to pop some news here. Okay. Uh, they're going to broadcast our qualifying live on NBC Sports Network from Daytona. Um, maybe that happened years ago when it was Speed Vision or Speed yeah. Channel, but it's been that long it's since. It's been a very long time. So, so that's on, on the network? On the, on the NBC, NBC Sports, Sports Network, network. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the cable channel. Yeah. Uh, but at wow. the same time, if it's on the air, it's at, through NBC.com and also on the Correct. sports app. Tens of millions of people have the NBC Sports app because of their Olympic coverage, among other things. Let's finish off then with a thought from you about where IMSA is right now. The new IMSA, the old IMSA, it doesn't matter. It's IMSA. It's recognisable as a brand in American sports, not just American motorsports. Where is it now? Are you happy with that? And where will it be in another five years down the line? And, and, and does that you know, have to include 
the things we talked about with WEC, ACO, Le Mans, and, and Don's view to bring those guys in and, and form a, 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 an alliance with them right at the start was certainly one of the things that brought the American Le Mans series up. Where is IMSA right now and what happens next? What's the next chapter? I'll give you my personal opinion. Um, having been around close to IMSA, you know, fo- first with Pano's Motorsports Group, mm. that goes back to uh, 1999. So let's call it 20 years um, when you look at 20 seasons. It's never been better. And I say that with absolute conviction and candor. By every measure, it's got more sustainability. It has more momentum. It has more going for it than at any time that I've been aware of. Now, if we had Mark Raffoff in here, he might reference something from 1985 that eclipsed. I I don't think so. There's more languages being spoken in Marion's than I can ever remember during the time I've been across here. And I gauge what's going on in the paddock partially by that. And there's no one reason. There's a hundred reasons, maybe more. The staff that's been assembled that Ed and I have the absolute honor and the privilege of, of leading is the best overall by every measure. So much again. passion, Scott, from every one of so, some of them very, very young, making their way in the industry. But the passion yeah. comes through from all of them. And I said it a hundred times, I'll say it again, you can't fake that. No, no. Um, that comes from within. And even people that have joined our team that couldn't spell race car and had no idea what the difference between an IMSA car and a NASCAR and an Indy car, they now have, you know, they've, they've had the injection. You know, they're, they're <laughs> the hooked. virus has been introduced. They've, they've been in, <laughs> infected, and you're right. There's, there's a level of passion there, and you can feel it. You can feel it in the paddock. You can feel it in our office. You mentioned, where are we going five years from now? it's going to be a heck of a ride. You know, there, there's no doubt that just like the economy, motorsports has cycles that it goes through. Of course. Uh, we are so fortunate to have so much blue chip content. If you look at the whole of IMSA, there's 18 automobile manufacturers involved. You know, that's more than most all other major forms of motorsport combined. Well, and I would say about that, Scott, is that insulates you a little bit from those cycles because most championships can't afford to lose one or two manufacturers. Now, I'm not saying that IMSA is going to lose one or two, but if one or two are traded out for another one or two or net you lose one, net you gain one, there's a a level of insulation there. Look at what just happened. You know, because of many not currently having a product that is consistent with our GT4 or TCR rules, they are no longer part of our, our group. But with Brian Herta announcing yesterday that Hyundai is coming in with their TCR car, one out, one in. Mm-hmm. Keeps us at that 18 number, and to have the likes of Hyundai joining us mm-hmm. with big aspirations for the future. Oh, yeah. I think TCR is the starting point. Mm-hmm. That's not the end. Um, you're right. It, it just You'd never will anyone to go away. But should we have one or two or pick a number, we've got so much critical mass in yes. place that we can absorb that and it doesn't become a life-threatening situation. The caliber of the people, there's we got some gray hair, we got some balding guys, we've got a lot of senior management that's been there and done that. Jim France at the top of the mm-hmm. chart, Ed Bennett, myself, Simon Hodgson, David Pettit, these guys have been around but then they're complemented by this next generation that is eager to learn. They've got great ideas. They don't know what they don't know, 
And that always is an interesting and very valuable dynamic mm -hmm. because you get that, well, geez, I hadn't thought of that. Mm -hmm. You know, let's give it a try. Mm -hmm. And it's quite I liberating. It is. And it's, it's energizing. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of just stuck in a rut, turning the crank, look at what's changed in our environment, how we go to races, yes. how we present to fans. The, the content of our weekend is ever evolving, much of that coming from young people that have brought those ideas to, to the fore. And where is, finish off with this thought, where do you think IMSA's place in the motorsport world is globally? Not just here in the, the USA. It's, there's a very, very easily defined place for IMSA here in the US, and it's right at the very top of what you guys do. In the bigger global environment of motorsport and particularly sports car and endurance racing where is IMSA sitting right now I, I think it is the benchmark example of the most relevant the most authentic and the most sustainable form of professional sports car racing period um, you could say that absolutely applies to North America we're not trying to be something we're not we, we have no aspirations to go international we're not going to pursue a flyaway race we want to be the best and the brightest and, and be doing the best job that we can in the North American marketplace. And, uh, you know, if that translates to others that enjoy this type of racing and uh, and wish to follow us from afar, always welcome. Come on, come on. Yep. Scott, it's been a pleasure. Slightly longer 9 o'clock interview tonight, <laughs> but worth every moment of it. I, I should say that a lot of what we've talked about uh, an organisation takes its character, I think, from the people at the top. Jim France, you, Ed Bennett, take a lot of credit. I know that it siphons down to the team. People, I know you differently than most people. I know how much of an enthusiast you are, and I know it frustrates you not to be able to go and watch races <laughs> sometimes, but that really comes through when you and I talk together. Scott Atherton, thank you very much for being this week's 9 o'clock interview. John, it's always a pleasure, and as I've said before, I'm the lucky one that gets to do things like we're doing now, speaking to you, but there's an entire team there, and it just humbles me. It almost brings me to tears to think about that group that uh, that makes up IMSA as a whole, both those in the office and those that just join us on the weekends. Every one of them is important. We couldn't do it without them, and uh, it's an honor to speak to you and uh, be able to convey that to the fans. Some very interesting stuff in there. This is Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 44. Uh, let's go back to Florida now and uh, welcome back Shay Adam. Some sad news to start with, and that's the death announced uh, yesterday morning of David Pearson, three-time NASCAR champion. The Silver Fox, a NASCAR mm. hero to many. And if you look on Twitter, you'll see... The amount of tributes from drivers that we consider the greats who considered him to be the hero, truly yeah. a great man and a pioneer in the NASCAR paddock. It was a uh, difficult time uh, to be uh, a NASCAR driver because it was nearer dominated by Richard Petty, of course. Yeah, and that makes it even more impressive that we did know him and, and that so many drivers did cheer and care about him, that... The King, of course, is the one that we'll all remember from that era. But having somebody of his caliber make a name for themselves that we still remember, that that in itself is impressive. And his local uh, track, which was Darlington, was uh, clearly one where he excelled. Ten wins there in the course of his career. Gosh, that's that's something impressive. I'm sure when we go back to 2019, ten wins at Darlington. Be... Three wins wow. in the Southern 500 as well. That was a monster race. That was a monster race. That um, 
And Darlington, obviously, just next next to Stockton on Tees, which is uh, if it didn't if it happened, it was happening there. Not the same Darlington, I presume. Uh, no. Uh, Ma- uh, Mario Andretti was fulsome in his prayers uh, from just to back up what Shea was saying about the uh, influence uh, that he had outside the direct sphere of of stock car racing. Um, and uh, Tim, you, you, you're spot on when you say he was in a difficult period because of the domination of of, of the king. But the, the the whole point of what he said, what, what everybody has said about it is he was super competitive, but not at the expense of, of of not being a nice bloke and always had time for fans as well, which is one thing that we really like about people. Uh, moving on to contemporary NASCAR, and uh, we need to talk about Kevin Shea because uh, after being disqualified... <laughs> Uh, just over well a week and a half ago now uh, he bounced back and uh, put it on pole he did and as i said last week i wouldn't be at all surprised to see kevin harvick's name atop the charts well he was the fastest guy through every session and then qualifying at one point there was a joke saying no i'm not just retweeting the same article kevin harvick did go faster again yeah but he didn't win but the you race. didn't and watch I, it i didn't you didn't watch, watch the it race. No, and what I watch, happens when I you watch don't watch? bits and pieces. Um, if I watch 70% or more of a race, Kevin Harvick will win. If I watch less than that, he didn't. And in fairness, he won eight races this year out of 35 that we've done so far. The only person to tie him on that is Kyle Busch, who did go on to win the race. So congratulations to him. But when you consider the disproportionate amount of winning that the people in the championship four have done, it's remarkable. They've got 22 out of 35 wins. And you might be wondering, who are those four? John, do you know? No. Joey Logano. <laughs> the short answer. Joey Logano, who we did know coming in, driver of the number 22. Right, yeah. He got two wins okay. on the year. He has the least of the four and no championship. He is the only driver going for his first yeah. title. Martin Truex Jr. is trying to defend what he earned last year. And we'll get back to him in a moment because Homestead will be important for him. Kyle Busch, winner of eight races, including the race at Phoenix. And he drove very, very well. I did watch bits and pieces when he was leading. And he was very impressive in that M&M car, which always got to love the M&Ms. And then Kevin Harvick with the eight wins on the season. He also looking for his second championship. So we've got three guys trying to get their second championship And then we've got Joey Logano trying to get his first. But the big story of the weekend is going to be the lasts that are taking part. There are a lot of drivers who are retiring, stepping away from the sport. But the biggest stories, furniture row racing. We knew from a long time ago that they were stepping away from the big Monster Energy Cup this year, a year after winning the championship. It's the last race for Martin Truex Jr. and uh, Cole Pern, his crew chief, under that banner. Next year, they move to Joe Gibbs proper. But the biggest story, goodbye, Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss. That happy partnership is no more. They're not leaving um, the sport as individuals, no. but the, the fantastically successful partnership that they have built since 2002 is being broken up. An incredible 83 wins, seven championships, five of which were consecutive and yeah. it's all change for next year. Law's uh, stepping away from Jimmy. He's got a new sponsor. And uh, the partnership that has sometimes been 
like brothers in good way and bad way, and siblings often fight. Um, I've seen lots of stories about cookies and milk meetings to keep those guys <laughs> together. Uh, it, but that, this is a mass, this is the end of a really, really important era and one of the most successful partnerships in any sports year. Well, and you, you touched on the Lowe's thing, and I, I want to pay that off because Lowe's has been the primary sponsor of Jimmy Johnson mm. since 2001. He hasn't had another major company on the car. It has been Lowe's. So the loyalty that they have displayed is commendable. And he's going to be running a throwback livery for the final oh, race brilliant. at Homestead. It'll be fantastic. Uh, what about Very the so. other National NASCAR Series, Shay? What's going on there? Um, a lot of fun stuff, actually, because the big series finale, the Monster Cup Energy, goes green at 3 o'clock on Sunday. But on Friday night, under the lights, the trucks are going to decide who their champions are going to be. Brett Moffitt uh, and Noah Gregson, drivers for Toyota, are going up against Justin Haley and Johnny Sauter, the former truck champion. They represent Chevy, so you've got a fair split between those two. Ford not in that championship mm. fight, which is very interesting. Uh, And then on Saturday, of course, again, under the lights, it'll be decided who takes home the Xfinity title. Cole Custer, somebody that you've been uh, brought to your attention a lot this year, John, the 2017 Xfinity race winner at Homestead. He's going for his first Xfinity championship. He's got to fight off Christopher Bell, who won a year ago the Trucks Championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. They also have to contend with Tyler Reddick, a kid who has been red hot this year. And Daniel Hemrick, the guy who Dale Jr. really believes in and backs. So it's going to be an elbow-out fight Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're staying in Florida. Uh, We're going to switch over to Joe Bradley. Hello again, Joe. Hello, everyone. Have you seen Mick Schumacher's helmet? Have I I seen Mick Schumacher's helmet? Yes. Not not, uh, not since Silverstone Silverstone. uh, Weck Weekend. He's got a new one. Has he? It's yeah. not a dad. Uh, um, not at all. No, homage, it's dark it? grey. It look, makes him look like Batman. Which version of Batman? I Keaton don't know. Or, you know, well, it's different. It makes a big difference. If you're going to say Batman, you've got to know which Batman. You know, you know, the psyche of it. The important thing is that this weekend <laughs> is the very last proper Formula Three race at Macau. Yeah, I'm sad about that. I think everyone. Sad is because joking. we've never seen it. I was quite sad to be involved. Well, it was sad, but sort of box ticked, you know. I, I got the, the honour of calling the final ever Formula 3 race on British soil when we did the support F3. Me and Creelsey, uh, yeah. Um, and Macau, for me, the Macau Grand Prix has always been an end-of-season Formula 3 race. It was always a case of, you know, all right, whoever the, you know, the, the various... Uh, national champions were, they all used to come together and race at Macau and you used to find out just who was the cream, didn't you? Indeed. Uh, Let's move on. Most of most of the stories coming out of uh, Macau during the, the halcyon days of the Formula 3 uh, world were, were mostly from the off-track activities rather than on-track. Indeed. It was a festival of, uh, of everything out there, wasn't it, when people used to convene on that at the end of the season? Yes. We could talk for hours about Macau, but we haven't got time because we have to get on to a preview of one of our live events this weekend. We do have a very brief uh, Formula 3 inter-sports car transitional story, which is congratulations (laughs) to Linus Lundqvist. Uh, The British F3 champion has uh, been declared the winner of the Sunoco Challenge, so we'll be heading to Daytona 24 hours in uh, January. 
Meanwhile, yeah. we have a different American 24-hour race this weekend, don't we, Joe? We have a very different 24-hour race because it's we, we have a 24-hour race split into two parts um, in true Creventic style. We're a quarter, the circuit of the Americas, to round off the Creventic series and also to round off the championship of the continents. And we are Who's running... in the running for it, uh, Joe? Well, the, the exciting thing is, championship-wise, um, you know what? You would not want to walk into a bootmakers and put any money on this. We've got um, three points covering the top nine drivers in GT and three points um, covering the top ten drivers in TCE. Um, Matthew Jaminier, he, he was um, runner-up in Dubai, but he also took an SPX class when it port him out. And that was the one where they brought along the Manti Racing, brought along the, um, the development new GT3 car and, uh, and turned out and uh, won the race with it. Um, so that uh, um, the problem is, of course, that Jaminet goes into the championship leading. However, he's not turning up. So that's not where the championship's going to end up. And so he's uh, at just pick, pick a driver. Um, he's at Macau. Yeah. Um, yeah. Taking us back to Macau, we should have done that first. Um, you've got a gaggle of drivers uh, who were already four points off the off the lead, and, and obviously that we, we can disregard that because that's not going to happen. Gabriel Piana, Jean-Louis Jasper, and then we've got Robert Reynau and Ralph Bond, who will be out in the Herbeth Motorsport Porsche. And that car has got to, once again, you can never, ever discount those Herbeth guys. And they're in their usual car. They're not, they're not, they haven't, you know, they're not using the Manti development car or anything. They're, they're going to be there with their team. And usually their main challenge would be coming from the Scuderia Praha team. They're not making the trip across the Atlantic. So I think their biggest challenge is going to be to Black Falcon Mercedes. Is, is it, does the championship the have to go to a top-class car, Joe? Or can one of the other champion, uh, other um, class uh, entrants win the overall continent's uh, well, championship with the continent's title? Well, teams-wise, there um, there's only five points covering the top three teams in both our GTE and TCE classes. Um, right. The, um, we it's the weekend. The, TCE, the TCR cars could go really well. Yes, the TCR cars are, are you know, that's we are going to have a, a cracking race. And then when you add in the complexity of where the championship's going to end up, You've got Anthony Berry and Carrie Pecker Larson in a in a Baz Kooten car, um, and if anyone knows how to win uh, these twenty four hour races in the Cupra, it's Baz Kooten's team. And then, but mm-hmm. um, they're only one one point behind. We have um, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six drivers, all yes. from the uh, Hofer with Bonk Motorsport BMW, who were in um, a different class to them. But um, we crowned our European champions. And that was the pro sport car, the American car, as we've uh, grown to know it. Um, the two, the two were Charles Putnam and Espen Laub, and their usual teammate Joe Foster. And they've had Adam Christodoulou with them for most of the season. They'll, they're going to be at quarter, and they could very much go for a team's championship and an overall win. It's going to be a very different looking race uh, in terms of the weather conditions this weekend, as to the what I the one I took part in. Uh, last year, top temperature around about 20 degrees. That was, I think, the coolest that we had a year ago. Yeah. So the teams will be fighting very different conditions, getting the handcuffs up to temperature and pressure, possibly a little bit of 
bit of rain as well. Prediction, Joe? What I, do you reckon? Uh, the, I haven't seen any rain forecast, but I have seen very, very overcast skies, which will keep the ambient temperature up above the kind of five degrees mark, which is when hmm. you really begin to have problems with getting the tyres up to temp. And for the TCR category, the biggest problem for them is rear tyres because you just do not get any any temperature into the rear tyres. It's going to be a race of four halves, if that makes sense, because we're (laughs) going to start, and of course it doesn't, uh, we're going to start in the, the, about, I think we've got a forecast of like 19, 20 degrees, which is nice. I mean, that's, that's a British summertime Top temps both days is 20 for Saturday and Sunday. But yeah, it, but it when drops down, down just above freezing point um, right. overnight yeah. on Saturday. And we race into the darkness on Saturday. And then we start at 8 o'clock local on, on Sunday morning, which I think is an hour earlier than last year. Yes. You it might is. even find there's a bit of overnight moisture on the track there, depending well, on what the dew point was overnight. So I, I, that's going tr- to be tricky on the restart, particularly, I reckon, for anyone who hasn't done a tyre change the night before, so strategy might play into it. Uh, where was that? Where have we got that at the weekend? Is that RS1 team or for the full it coverage indeed, of the yes. right RS1 for the weekend? Joe Bradley will be joining me, Nick Damon, Shea Adam, and Bruce Jones at the circuit of the Americas. It'll be Johnny Palmer and Alex Capardia for the free live coverage over on RS3 of WEC Shanghai in the 6,000. If you go to RadioLamont.com, scroll down at the bottom of the page, all of the schedule for the weekend is there and it will auto-convert to your browser time. And that is about all we've got time for. Indeed it is. We'll be back next week with episode 45 of season 13. Stars on 45. I must remember to dig that out. <laughs> yes, just getting that in early. Um, but there's no, no time to explain... The Llama is getting wrapped up for Austin. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.